<laughs> I'm not going to keep you too long. I, I'm not very uh, long-winded. Uh, I do enjoy preaching. It's connected to the fabric of my being. How many of you have uh, noticed that God creates you to be whatever he wants you to be by what he speaks to you? So God's voice in your personal life shapes you and molds you into what he desires you to be uh, and what you're supposed to carry and what you're supposed to reflect of him comes from the image that he you know, sends down to you. Do you understand what I mean? And so for me, everything that has to do with my calling has to do with words. He speaks and my job is to take what's been spoken and to give the words. I told my wife the other day, what I would like to be written on my tombstone comes from John 17. Jesus says, the words you have given to me, I have given to them. And this is the essence of my whole life is I want to stand in the presence of the Lord and receive words and then go give the words I've received to people because they give life. There's a quote that I like to say a lot. These, all these words, they belong to you and because you live, so they do. If the origin of the words is from life, then those words can give life. And all my life, I grew up around Christian teachings and Christian doctrine and Christian thought, but there was very little life. There was a lot of uh, teachings on what you should do, and what you shouldn't do. But that vibrant life that comes from the living word. That which God is speaking, not just what God has said. That was, that was really kind of missing in my early years growing up in church and knowing a lot about God, but not knowing God. But I really feel in my heart like there's a major difference between knowing what God said and knowing what God is saying. He can be saying things that he said, but... Just because it's something he said doesn't mean it's something he's saying. Does that make sense to you? But what I mean by that is that the, the right word at the right time is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It stands out. It's just uniquely um, penetrating when it is something that God is saying. The Pharisees could tell you what God said, but they couldn't tell you what God was saying. Do you understand? And so that's, that's the difference for me. So I feel in my heart a strong connection with moving in sync with the living current voice of God. I find that I'm able to enter into the river current of God when I'm looking for the current speaking. So using the same word current in its different applications, I feel they're connected. Whatever he's currently saying is inside the current of his river. And so how many of you want to keep moving in the river of life? <laughs> I don't want to get stuck on the bank somewhere and watch people be passing by. I want to live in the currency, the current of God because of the current speaking of God. So let's just pray. And I want to give you what I feel to be a current speaking of the Lord. It's not going to be very long, but I, I pray that the Lord would use it in your personal life to take stuff off of you. That's one of the things that I feel God wants to do today. He wants to unload you. Uh, sometimes you pick up stuff. You don't even know you're carrying it until the word of the Lord comes and takes something off. you. And you're like, oh, that feels so much lighter. 
and so much better. Or the straight jacket gets cut off and you're like, whoa, I'm alive. And there really is liberty in the presence of the spirit. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, Father, I thank you so much for the living word, Christ himself, who is alive from the dead and in our midst by the Holy Ghost. I thank you for this reality, this gospel unmatched with a Christ unmatched and a work unmatched. In your precious name, I pray that you would take off of us the heaviness of life, the things we've collected along the way, because you're all we've selected. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Uh, I want you to turn over to Proverbs chapter 19. I want to show you the purpose of all teaching. Proverbs chapter 19. The verse we're going to look at is the 22nd verse. I believe it's 1922. Let me just check. Sorry, 2219. I reversed it. Dyslexic sometimes. 2219. <laughs> so that your trust may be in the Lord, I have taught you today. Okay, I want you to say this with me. Say, so that my trust would be in the Lord, I've been taught today. I, I believe that the scriptures are showing us that all teaching brings us to trusting God. If the teaching that we're receiving does not bring us to a more abandoned trust in the Lord, then we can question its origin. Because for this reason, he teaches us that we might trust God even more fully. How many of you know that the trust that you have in the Lord is constantly growing? Do you notice that? Sometimes you feel like, Lord, I trust you with everything I've got. And then he shows you a little bit more light. And you're like, oh, snap. <laughs> I can trust you here too. Do you understand what I mean? I'm, I'm finding this, the longer that I'm walking with God, my trust is ever expanding. And I feel it's maxed out. But then he opens my eyes and he says, there's more trust that you can give to me. I want to trust the Lord. Do you want to trust the Lord? Do you want to know why I want to trust the Lord? It's the same reason why you want to trust the Lord. It's because it's the only way to actually please God. It's the thing that makes him most happy when his children trust in him. And I can tell you this, as Hudson Taylor said, he said, is there not a sure, a more sure evidence of Adam's failure than distrust in God? Is there not a more sure evidence of Adam's failure than distrust in God. In other words, the essence of Adam's fall, the poison that went into the blood and now spreads throughout humanity has at its root this, distrust in God. And so I, wanna, I want you to turn over to Matthew 18. Like I said, I'm not going to go long, but I feel this is a special speaking from the Lord right now. Matthew chapter 18. I hope you guys like reading the scriptures. Do you like reading the scriptures? Me too. They are alive. And sometimes I'm reading the Bible and I don't know if I'm reading the Bible or if the Bible's reading me. Sometimes I look down and I feel as if the pages are breathing. How many of you have ever felt like, 
while you're looking at the scriptures, it's almost as if you're looking through a window at the face of Jesus. Yes, the outer shell of the scriptures by the presence of the spirit is cracked and a living voice starts to come out. I remember Bill Johnson once said when we were doing Jesus conference, he opened the Bible and he says, let's see what we can hear. Let's see what we can hear. It's wonderful to have a biblical curriculum established and the borders and the, and the, the parameters under, you know, established in the life so that you don't go astray. But there's something higher than just the parameters. There's a living voice that you can hear that gives us life, right? How many of you live by this daily bread? Yes, I encourage you, if you don't, it will make you a much happier person if you do. <laughs> there's bread that comes from another world that you can eat every day. And in the presence of the Lord, this cookbook becomes a delectable spread. Most people are just walking around with a cookbook, all these recipes. Look at all the stuff that's possible. But when the presence of the Lord shows up, the book opens up and a delectable spread is in front of you. And you can just eat and eat and eat. Praise God for the word of God. So Matthew 18, verse 1. The scripture says, at this time... The disciples came to Jesus. Let's just talk for one second about what, why it says at this time. Jesus has just had to pay his taxes to Rome. Anybody like paying taxes? You guys don't like paying taxes? <laughs> so they pay taxes to Rome. So we see the Roman government has just been submitted to in the paying of taxes. After seeing this government system that takes what is needed from the people and their submission to the government, they have this thought in their brain. Look at what this thought is. Who then is the greatest in the government of heaven? We've just submitted to the kingdom that's here on the earth, but I want to know something looking at that kingdom. Who's the best or the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So do you see why they would even ask such a question like that being around the government that they're submitted to, the first question comes up, how does it work in the kingdom of heaven? This is so incredible to me. So it says, who, is the, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Look at this. And Jesus, verse 2, he called a child to himself. And the word that's used there for child is small child. So we're not talking about an eight-year-old here. We're talking about a toddler. How many of you have ever had kids? How many, how many of you have ever been around a toddler? They are wonderful. They are like nothing else. Little people that have no self-consciousness whatsoever. Little people that don't care at all what anybody thinks. Is it true? You know it's true. <laughs> They're amazing. I love talking to a, a young child because they don't have all the filth of correctness in politics. You know what I mean? They don't have any of this. They're free. And so Jesus calls one of these and he sets them before them. Look at this. And truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, toddlers, small children, he says, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying this is very important, what I'm talking to you about. How many of you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? How many of you want the kingdom of heaven to be experienced in your life? It's going to be connected to this toddlership, toddlership. So it says here. Whoever humbles himself as this child. So Jesus then talks about the essence of the child that he's, or the, the characteristic of the child that he's trying to pull out of the toddler. Humility. 
the humility of a toddler. Oh, I love it. And it says here, who then is the, the greatest, blah, 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 himself a child. I love this. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Okay. Hannah Whithall Smith in her Christian classic, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Has anybody read this book before? The Christian Secret of a Happy Life? The wonderful book. She says in it, she says, the life of faith. How many of you are living the life of faith? The life of faith consists in just this, being a child in the father's house. So the whole essence of your Christian relationship with God, your whole Christian situation has to do with this. You're a child in God's house, your father's house. I love that because I think it just makes things a lot more simple. It takes all the politics out and it makes me just a kid in my father's home. It's very important. So at this time, we see that Jesus and the disciples are in two different worlds. Do you notice this? They're thinking, who's the greatest? And Jesus pulls a child out. So they're from below and their thoughts are from below. Jesus is from above and his thoughts are from above. So they're thinking greatness, supremacy, rank. And he thinks from above, toddlers. Children, they're so different. They're so upside down. As far removed as Christ is from men, so is the understanding of what is great according to God next to what men think is great. So maybe, maybe what makes one great in heaven makes one insignificant on the earth. Maybe what makes one significant on the earth makes one insignificant in heaven. If it's so upside down. So I want you to take notice. Jesus is so incredible in the way that he teaches that he does these little illustrations in the midst of teaching the people. For instance, they ask the question, who's the greatest? They're thinking rank and supremacy. So Jesus speaks to a child and tells the child to come here. That's the illustration of the point. The child Here's Christ's desire for him to come to him and he leaves where he is and goes to Jesus. And in that imagery, you have the teaching itself that childlikeness is responding to Christ's desire for you to come and be with him. Childlikeness is coming to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? So they think greatness. Jesus thinks come to me. <laughs> Sometimes we get this blood flow inside of ourselves of wanting rank or significance or relevance in the eyes of our family or friends or in life. And, and I'm telling you, it's natural, but we're part of something that's unnatural. We're part of something that's supernatural and it's a different understanding and value system. So we see Christ's illustration of the child coming to him, that this is what we're seeing, that they're looking up for a throne and he's looking for people to gather on his knee. <laughs> so often we're looking for this throne, you know, but when you look at Jesus, he's just like saying, come here. I want you to come to me. Oh, it's so special. So when he calls the child, we understand the simple truth that he wants us to be where he is. What's greatness? Come be with me. So they're talking about the, the, who's the greatest. And he's telling them what the greatest thing is. Which one of us is greatest? He goes, no, no, no. Let's not talk about who's greatest. Let me tell you what's the greatest thing you can do. 
and it's come to me. To me, this is very special. Mark records the same exact story. It's in Mark chapter nine, but he adds a detail. And in the detail, the detail that's added is he calls the child to himself and it says he held the child while speaking to them. This shows me something a little bit different than the first one. It's not just coming to Jesus, it's letting Jesus hold you. This is very special to me because there's nothing I love more while being a human being on the earth than letting Jesus hold me. And sometimes we want God to say something to us and all he wants to do is hold you. How many of you know the greatest form of communication from God sometimes is not intelligible at all? It's just letting, just letting him hold you. He can communicate sometimes more by you just resting your head upon his chest than the, the most perfect eloquences of speech known to man. Is this not true? This is how he is. He wants us to, to be held by him. So I know this. I know that the human heart is corrupt. I know this by personal experience. We are prone to self-risings. And it comes in many different ways. It can come in ministry. It can come in marriage. It can come in just you wanting to do your own thing. It comes from not submitting an area of your heart to God. These self-risings, we're just prone to them. But Jesus is trying to destroy all of this with saying that it's the childlike that, that get his attention and that, that are what this kingdom is. So if we're not childlike, we can turn our following of Jesus even into self-exaltation. If we're not childlike, we can even turn the Bible to be all about us. One of my friends likes to say it like this, the Bible has a hero already and it's not you. <laughs> There's a man upon the throne and every eye is looking at him. Praise God. A numberless multitude surrounds him and they worship him day and night. If you had a sword and you were walking up to someone to, to slay them and then behind them came an army of 500,000 people with weapons, you would surrender, wouldn't you? Because you're overpowered. It's not even comparable. I give up. When you see Jesus in his glory, there's only one thing to do and it's surrender. There's, I can't compare to you and nor can anything else. So I lay my sword down and my life down. So to me, this is very special. Jesus is showing us that they must be converted. This word converted is, is interesting because it's almost as if he's thinking of Psalm 3410. Did you guys know Jesus knew the Old Testament? <laughs> Did you know? He knew this very well, as a matter of fact. And so when he calls a child to himself, it could be that he's referencing Psalm 3410 when it says, come to me, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So maybe Jesus is trying to call their attention to something that you don't even fear the Lord with this kind of thought. Who's the greatest? Maybe he's saying, here's your root issue. When you're thinking of how great you are, I'm trying to show you something. You don't fear God. The fear of God will destroy seeking our own name. But when we are not fearing the Lord, we will think this way. How can I gain significance or relevance? I want to show people that I'm spiritual. I want to show people that I'm rich. I'm going to show people that I'm, I'm, I've got everything together. Do you understand? This is important. So maybe what we're seeing here is that grownups are, are distant and inattentive and unable to learn the fear of the Lord because they've grown out of the ability to understand in the way that Jesus wants to show this to them. 
So in addition to the illustration that Jesus uses to correct the disciples, the child coming to him, we understand that God and his kingdom are completely contrary to what men think about his kingdom. So there are certain characteristics of a child, and this is where I'm going to kind of close out. I'll pull out a couple of things here, and uh, they're going to be uh, very simple, but I want to encourage you to grab a hold of the simplicity of them and realize that God is speaking to us even today about these things. So there are certain characteristics for the most part that are distinct to toddlers. Looking at them will unfold for us uh, this, an, ex, an exposition of the exclusive spirituality that Jesus claims to be part of the kingdom. The exclusive spirituality that Jesus says is part of the kingdom. Number one, children provide nothing for themselves. Children provide nothing. You've never seen a toddler wake up in the morning, put on a construction hat and say, I'm going to go make the money for the family. They, they don't even think about making money. They're not even thinking about providing for themselves. Is that, is that true? Can I assume that? Is that too much to assume? No, it's true. This is how they are. I ask you, who's the most cared for in the home? Is it not the youngest? Who gets the most attention in the house? The smallest child gets the most attention in the house. And I want to encourage you that we, too, must take on a childlikeness that doesn't seek to provide anything for ourselves. You cannot provide joy for yourself. You cannot provide peace for yourself. You cannot provide spirituality or provisions of any kind or grace or guidance. You can't provide any of these things for yourself. So when you try to, you've grown up. It's a child. It's a child that gains these things from God. Jesus is trying to teach us this. Don't try to provide these things for yourself because you'll find really quickly that the glories of the kingdom of heaven are absent from your, from your life. I remember Bob Gladstone said to us one time, wherever joy and peace is missing in your life, you know the lordship of Christ is somewhere compromised. And I would add to it and I would say, wherever joy or peace are lacking in your life, you've grown up in that area. So Jesus refused in his own life to receive any fulfillment or gratification independent of his father. He just was this way. So number two, children not only don't provide anything for themselves, but they trust their fathers. Toddlers trust their fathers. Hannah Whithall Smith wrote famine, war, fire may rage, but because the child is under the care of its father, they're unconcerned and are at perfect rest. The child's chief characteristic is freedom from care. You say, Eric, I just don't know if that's true. Well, the other day, I was in Portland. Portland is close to hell right now. It is just boarded up, vandalized, homeless people, drug addicts everywhere. It was ridiculous. I was with my friend William Hen, and he had his toddler with him in a stroller. And we went through so many dangerous portions of the city. The toddler knew nothing. We could have been at Disney World for all the All the toddler knew was my daddy's pushing me. This is a good illustration of the way that a child trusts its father. Famine, war, pestilence even, doesn't matter. The child's at perfect rest because its trust is in his father. I just want to ask you a question. 
Do you live? Rhetorically, I'm asking you, don't answer. Do you live like this? Because this kind knows the freedom and the liberty and the joy and the peace of the kingdom of heaven. And wherever we lack this in our lives, we take on an unnecessary weight because we've grown up. So this is the essence of childlikeness. Trust in the one that is loved. I once was uh, at the beach. Have you ever went to the beach and you saw like a father playing with the, a toddler in the, in the water? And they hold the, the hands of the toddler. And as the water waves rush towards the toddler, the father lifts the toddler up and the, the waves touch the feet of the child and they laugh. And You know what I mean? Is anybody? Yeah. Okay. I was watching this and I thought, wow, that's a beautiful picture of life. I think my whole world is about to die because a wave is coming towards me. And my father just lifts me up and it only tickles my feet. How often have you thought your whole life was going to end because the wave was coming towards you? But your father all the while just lifted you up and tickled your feet with that wave. Praise God. That's what we that's the kind of God that we've got who takes care of us. So there's a, another story. I'm going to just use this one to belabor the point because it's, it's important. There's a story of a man who ties a rope from one building to another building. And he gets a crowd of people and he tells them, I'm going to tightrope from this building to that building. And everybody's like, oh no, he's not going to be able to do it. So the guy just gets on the rope and he goes from one side to the other. When he finishes, everybody claps. They're like, that's incredible. And he says, how many of you believe that I can do it again? They're like, yeah, you can do it again. And so he takes a wheelbarrow with him out and he says, how many of you believe I can go over with the wheelbarrow? And they're all like, oh, no. So he goes across with the wheelbarrow. And when he gets to the other side, everybody claps. That's amazing. So he says, how many believe I can go back? And they all clap. Yes, you can do it. And then he says, okay, who wants to come get in the wheelbarrow? And nobody's, there's just crickets and tumbling weeds. Nobody's saying a word. But there's this little boy down there. And he raises his hand. So he says, Get that boy and bring him up here. They get the boy. They bring him up there. He puts the boy in the wheelbarrow. Everybody's freaking out. He goes across with the boy in the wheelbarrow. He gets to the other side. Everybody claps. It's incredible. The boy then is seen around after the whole event. And some guys come up to him and they say, little boy, how, how did you, why did you do that? Why did you trust that man with your life? And the boy says, oh, the man is my daddy. This is a perfect illustration for the insanity of trusting your father. You may do things that look absolutely ridiculous to other people, but it's because you know your God. It's because you love and you trust your father. This is so important for us because this is what Jesus is trying to tell us. The kind that enter the kingdom of heaven and experience its reality. It's a childlike trust. Jesus teaches us that the importance of such a childlike trust in the father is so important that he says, you got to be converted. And the, the interesting thing about this word convert is that its definition combined with when and how Jesus uses it, it shows us something. It shows us that we must be delivered from our unspiritual worldly self-seeking aims and selfish ambitions. That's what Jesus is saying. Abandon all this selfishness 
this self-centeredness. We must come to him so that he can change our whole way of thinking. Can I go a couple more minutes? Is that okay? You guys okay with that? So a friend of mine was once asked, I want to become childlike. How do I become childlike? And I was wondering how he would answer him. And his answer was incredible. He says, look at the father. And I thought, wow, that is the key to becoming childlike is looking at your father. You say, Eric, but I don't understand. How do I, how does looking at the father make me a child? Well, when you see that he holds the wind in his fist and he has a storehouse for the snow and that all things are his servants and that he runs all things after the counsel of his own will and he sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases, you can step back and say, I trust him. It will show you that you can abandon yourself to such a one who throws the lightning bolts. He's amazing. John Wesley writes, little children are lowly at heart. They know themselves utterly ignorant and helpless, and they hang upon their father in heaven to supply all their needs. This is the childlikeness that we're looking for. So it will always be more important that God has all of our trust than us knowing what to do or knowing anything at all. Don't you believe this? That's the essence of childlikeness. But we grow up so fast, don't we? And we get upset with God because he doesn't open our eyes to understand something specific about the future. We get, you're growing up. You're growing up. When you have this necessity to know that Trump's trust in who he is, you know by this you've grown up. It's childlikeness that says, I don't even need to know. Just let me have you and I'll be okay. That's the essence of childlikeness. The childlike heart is honest about itself. It lives in the recognition of always needing its father. I want you to say this with me. Say, Father, help me live in the recognition that I always need you. Praise God. Guys, we never graduate from dependency. And that's what Jesus is teaching us in childlikeness. Maybe these enticing thoughts of who's the greatest. Maybe these are temptations to leave and exit the Father's house in care. The devil just comes. He doesn't say leave God's care and leave God's provisions and leave God's peace. He doesn't say this to you because who's going to take that? He just says, hey, who's the greatest? And you say, oh yeah, who is the greatest? And you exit the father's house and you exit his care and you exit the wonders of his wonderful person. But there are definitely thoughts contrary to being a child for sure. So he drains out all of our inward poisons and our comparisons and our com competitions. And he satisfies us with just resting upon his chest. That's the essence of being a child. See, children are marked with honesty. Is that not true? Have you ever talked to a child honestly about something? They are so true. Martha Kilpatrick once wrote about children. She says, there is one human responsibility before God and it is honesty. She says, God cannot meet with a liar. She says, this is why conversion is necessary. We must turn away from this manipulative, self-centered facade and abandon ourselves to an honest, vulnerable, open-hearted, uncovered heart before God. This is the essence of childlikeness. So Jesus says this phrase. He says, I, I praise. Remember, he looks up into heaven. He says, I praise you, Father that you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to infants and babes. This shows us that there's a special understanding that comes to those who abandon the need to understand. 
There's a special understanding that comes to those who abandon the need to understand. This is childlikeness. Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 14, that the children are taken to Jesus and the disciples get upset. You remember this? They're like, man, kids can't be in here. This is the Messiah, man. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, no, no. Suffer them to come to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus is showing us something that the, ki that the kingdom is made up of children and only children. Children are not one kind in the kingdom. They're the only kind because the kingdom of heaven belongs to only these kind like this, the toddler, the one who is childlike enough to trust God. Maybe Jesus is showing us that adults are irritated by childlike trust. Maybe that's what that whole illustration is showing us. The disciples has grown, have grown up and so they're irritated by the little ones coming. So sometimes I think we grow up and we see somebody operating in childlike trust and we're irritated by them. And sometimes you see someone just who's, who's just a little bit more tender towards the Lord than you and it makes you mad. Do you know what I mean? We're just humans and that's just how it goes sometimes. And it just shows you that area of your heart has grown up. So maybe that, that irritation comes from growing up. I remember hearing an old preacher say, God only uses children because he cannot trust adults. God only uses children because he cannot trust adults. See, adults have, and remember, you remember what I'm saying when I say adults. I'm saying having grown out of this disposition, out of this heart. Obviously, we can grow up, you know what I mean? And in growing up, we don't want to grow out of this childlike dependence. So maybe the adults have grown out of dependency and into an independence from God. And then they just kind of do things and slap God's name on it. Instead of being dependent enough to say, oh, Lord, unless you do it, it's not going to get done. I need you. So maybe they're no longer needy, no longer lowly. And many times, maybe they've grown out of honesty, too. Maybe we've grown into dishonesty in the way we present ourselves to others. Jesus is not like this. He says, You're, the reason why he doesn't like it isn't just because it's contrary to him. It's killing you. When you hold on to a dishonesty and a face that is not real, a facade, a mask, and your presentation of yourself to others, this makes you heavier than you need to be. It saps your strength and kills your joy and unsettles your peace. So Jesus hates it because he wants to kill it so that you can be free and be happy. So we need to learn how to approach one another unarmed. That's the essence of, of childlikeness. Once I, uh, another aspect of, of children, once I jumped out, I scared my littlest one. She was real small at this time, maybe four or five or something. And uh, I was hiding. She came walking around the corner and I grabbed her from behind and I said, give me all your money. <laughs> Trying to be a robber. And she turns around, she looked at me, and she goes, Daddy, I don't have any money to give you. <laughs> it hit me so hard that that's, an, that's childlikeness. I have nothing to give you. And in this, I, I see that as her father, I tend to her every need. I protect her. I, I'm in control of her future, in a sense. And I 
I have all the provisions provided for her. That's my role as her father. And if the devil comes to rob you and you're grown up, then he has something to take from you. <laughs> but if you're a child, you can say with Jesus, the devil comes and he has nothing in me. There's nothing he can take from me because I realize it all comes from my father. I have nothing of my own. This is childlikeness. This is the kind of thing that keeps us free. Everything belongs to God. So you don't need to search yourself for the means necessary for anything, any given thing. We just trust ourselves to the Lord. It's when we search ourselves to find the thing that we need that we end up making up new things and setting in motion things that are against God. And then finding out that we are bankrupt and empty, we try to fill it with something else. Instead of just recognizing only you, God, are my provision and only you are the one who can do these things for me. Jesus, when he talks about prayer, it's very interesting. He uses the word father. When he teaches us how to pray, he teaches us to say father. Does he not? Even in his illustration of when a, a, a child comes to a father and asks for a fish, will he give him a stone? He uses a child coming to a father, teaching us that prayer is best performed by children. That actually prayer is the practice of children. Adults cannot pray because they're sufficient in themselves. Children look to their father. So Jesus is teaching us that we have got to be like this. And when we come to God, we have to have this childlikeness. Otherwise, we miss the whole essence of what prayer is, the expression of dependency. Sometimes we come to God and we're, we, we come into the closet with our scientist coat on. Lord, let's figure all this out together. Or sometimes we come in and we've got our businessman outfit on. Lord, let's make an exchange of some kind. I need to make an exchange with you today. We come into the closet and we've dragging our sword, our warrior sword from all our fighting. And we're just fighting and stressing and all this kind of stuff. Sometimes we come in and our, we, we come in as professionals. I know exactly how to pray. I teach prayer. But God looks at all of those guys in their different outfits and he says, please scoot aside. My son is trying to get in here. My child is trying to get in here. You're not allowed into the closet of God wearing any of these outfits. He wants you to come with a, with a baba, <laughs> with a baba in your, in your arm, a pacifier in your mouth. Your hair all messed up, stains all over your shirt and just. <laughs> that's the kind of approach he's looking for. And this is the reason why some people don't experience God when they go pray. Because they, they tried to bring something other than a childlike heart in there. But it's the child that connects with God. It's the child that Jesus calls for in, in Mark 10, 16. He calls the children to them. He touches them and he blesses them. This shows me something. That the ones that are touched and blessed are kids, the children. Maybe the hand of Christ skips over the head of the adult because he can't bless self-sufficiency. Praise God. So there's more I could get into, but I really feel in my heart like I want to just give us a chance to respond to, to such a thing because I think it's important. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, God discovers himself to babes. We must simplify our approach to him. We must strip down to essentials. We must put away all effort to impress and come with the guileless candor of childhood. 
There's an old poem that I love. It says, not as the athlete wrestling for a crown, taking heaven by violence of will, but as a child with your heavenly father, sit down and know the bliss that follows. Be still. Another poem says, he came, his arm around me. I leaned upon his chest. I did not long to feel more strong. So sweet, this childlike rest. I did not long to feel more strong. Just leaning into him, trusting him with, with all of our hearts. Just, just close your eyes with me and I want you to pray something with me. I know that you guys are wise enough to realize that these words are true. And I know that you that are listening to me right now realize that there's areas in your heart maybe you didn't see before that are growing up. So let's deal with this even in our own hearts before the Lord right here. Just put your hand on your heart. And with all the honesty we have, let's just, let's pray this together. And as you pray these words, pray them from your heart. Think about what they mean. Say this, say, Lord, Will you remove any shadows that have crept into my life? Will you tenderize my heart? Will you melt my heart? Will you take away hardness? Take away arrogance. Take away pride. Take away know-it-allness. And just make me like a little child that lives at your feet, worshiping all day long. I'm just going to pray for you, okay? Father, thank you for these that have heard the word today. And I'm, I'm asking you on their behalf that something switches today, changes. They would enter into a deeper, more blissful, enjoyable, peaceful trust in their father. Show them the areas that have grown up, that they might submit them to you and bring them to you, that you might shift our whole understanding of you, ourselves, and your kingdom. In your precious name, Lord, remove the poison of pride. In your glorious name.